Hey there, future RTs. Welcome to VRIST RT Study Hall. These podcasts are meant to help break down the information you're learning in lecture, and I'll also give you some practice questions at the end. This lesson is a part of the Oxygen Therapy series, and you can find what I'm calling the Ultimate Oxygen Therapy Study Packet with tons of extra resources and practice at www.myvrest.com. I also have a Facebook tutoring page. Just search Respiratory Therapy Study Hall. Now that we've covered what high flow system means, we can talk about the devices that fall into this category. Remember, to be a high flow device, we must meet or exceed the patient's inspiratory demand. And if we achieve this, then the FiO2 will be precise or non-variable. We'll start with an air entrainment mask or venturi mask. This mask will either have a dial and entrainment port between the tubing and mask or it will be a system where you change out the entrainment port depending on what FiO2 you want. Each will be a different color. You can deliver 24 to 50% FiO2 with these masks. The flow you set will depend on the FiO2 and the total flow you want to achieve. Often there will be a place on the entrainment port that will give you a suggested flow rate to set based on the FiO2. Lower FiO2s will require lower flows. This is because much more air is entrained into the system and you can achieve high flow easily. As you get to higher FiO2s, you will need higher flows as the air entrainment ratios become smaller. The air entrainment mask is the most commonly used high flow system on the MBRC exam unless the patient also requires humidity. But often look for it to be the answer for a COPD patient or someone with an irregular breathing pattern. These masks do not provide humidity and you should not put a bubble humidifier on them. In terms of troubleshooting, Make sure that the air entrainment ports are not covered by blankets or obstructed in some other way. In fact, there should be a protective cover. If the ports are blocked for any reason, air will not be entrained into the system, and FiO2 being delivered will increase. However, total flow will also decrease, which ultimately results in a variable FiO2 as the patient entrains more air themselves. The other high flow systems also have a humidity element to them. A large volume air entrainment nebulizer is both a high flow oxygen device and a bland aerosol humidification device. The top of the nebulizer has an air entrainment port where you dial in your FiO2. Again, set the flow according to the FiO2 and the total flow desired. Gas from the flow meter and entrained air becomes humidified in the nebulizer bottle, where a baffle system creates aerosolized gas. Corrugated tubing is then attached between the nebulizer and a mask and we can attach several different kinds of masks to this system. A simple aerosol mask, a tray collar, a face tent, or a T-piece, also called a Briggs adapter. The humidified gas creates a mist, which you should see continuously, even when the patient inspires. If the mist disappears when the patient inhales, then you are not meeting their inspiratory demand, and you need to increase the flow on the flow meter. Even though you can set the FiO2 dial up to 80%, sometimes even 100%. It is very difficult to maintain high flow with FiO2s at 60% or more. This is because the air entrainment ratio of 60% is one to one. So the highest total flow that can be achieved is 30 liters per minute. That's with an oxygen flow of 15 liters per minute times the ratio sum of two. That may not be enough to meet the patient's inspiratory demand. If you are at 15 liters per minute and the mist is still disappearing and you want to maintain a high flow system, you will need to either use a tandem setup, which is two setups that are wide together, or you will need a special adapter, like something called a Mistyox that increases total flow. 
You should also add a water trap to the corrugated tubing if it doesn't come with it already. Water will rain out or cause condensation to build in the corrugated tubing. This can create back pressure in the system. And this is a common troubleshooting question with this type of mask. Back pressure will prevent the system from entraining air. If less air is pulled into the system, FiO2 will increase and total flow will decrease. Overall, this kind of system is not really used as often anymore. But let's talk about some of the instances in which you might use each kind of mask. For the aerosol mask, this will be what you want to provide humidity to the upper airway as well as oxygen. You might consider this for an ammonia patient or someone with mild strider post-extubation. The reality is that you're really not going to add any humidity to the lower airway if they have a normal upper airway. So it's not going to be super effective in terms of secretion management in the lower airways, but it can be somewhat effective for those upper airway inflammation patients. A face tent is similar to the aerosol mask, but more open. This can be used for post-surgical patients who have had surgery on the upper airway or if the patient has facial burns. The other two types of masks are used when an artificial airway is in place. The trach collar is for, you guessed it, trachs. Some of these aerosolized bottles can be heated, and this is technically desired for someone with a trach, but you can also use it at ambient temperatures. The drawback is that there is an increased risk for thicker or more tenacious secretions. On the other hand, if we heat the aerosol, then it increases the risk of bacterial growth. The bottle should be replaced every 24 hours for this reason. You can also attach a T-piece or Briggs adapter to the trach. Ballard or closed system suction catheters can be added into this type of system to make it easier to suction the patient. This can also be used with an ET tube when we need from the ventilator. This is called a T-piece trial. Now it is much more common and really better for the patient to do a spontaneous breathing trial with the ventilator rather than to disconnect from the ventilator and attach a T-piece. By placing them on a T-piece, you are risking introducing bacteria into their tube and you are also increasing the work of breathing more than if you do a pressure support trial on the ventilator. The last one I'll get into depth with is the high flow nasal cannula. This requires a high flow flow meter and a heated humidifier or a system like Vapotherm or OptiFlow. For high flow, you usually use a large bore nasal cannula. This means that the nasal prongs have a wider diameter. However, you can also deliver something called high velocity nasal insufflation if you have a small bore nasal cannula. This uses potentially lower flows, but at a higher velocity. But for now, just think of a high-flow nasal cannula as a cannula that provides 20 to 60 liters per minute with FiO2s of 24 to 100%. With this type of device, you are setting both the flow rate and the FiO2. Flow is usually initiated at about 40 liters per minute, and then you'll use the lowest FiO2 needed to achieve the desired SpO2 and PaO2. This is the only high-flow device that can deliver high FiO2 easily. Choose this in similar circumstances to the non-rebreather mask, or if higher FiO2 is needed for a longer period of time. The benefit of a high-flow nasal cannula over a non-rebreather is that the patient can easily talk, eat, and not have disruptions in therapy to take oral medication. It is not always easy to set up quickly, but it can be an appropriate alternative, even for the MBRC. Because we are delivering such high flows to the nasal cavity, we must also provide heated humidification. Ensure that your water bag is always full and your heater is set to an appropriate temperature or your patient will complain of discomfort rather quickly. There are a few other oxygen devices that are more pediatric and neonatal specific and actually fall somewhere between high and low flow systems. In fact, some textbooks label them as high flow and some low flow and some just call them blending systems. 
This is because they set both a flow and an FiO2. However, the FiO2 can be variable within the system, even when you set the flow to be high enough to meet inspiratory demand, just because of the openness of the system. At any rate, I'll mention them here because you often cover them briefly in the beginning and then more so in a PEDS class. And they really fit the high flow definition better than low flow. First is the croup tent or croupette, which is not often or maybe ever seen these days, but allowed for humidity and oxygen to be given within a tent that went over the bed or crib. It was a complete enclosure that the patient was in and sometimes cooled for patients with croup or RSV to reduce upper airway inflammation. However, this often meant a lot of rain out and wet babies, and toddlers weren't exactly happy to sleep in it either. They'd spend more time on their parents' lap outside of the tent than in it. That said, it will sometimes still be seen as an answer for croup patients in pediatrics. An oxyhood, or oxygen box, or oxygen hood, there's a few different terms, is used for neonates. It is heated and humidified, which is very important. Babies lose heat easily, especially through their heads so we need to keep the oxygen delivered warm. It will have a combination of a flow meter and a blender, meaning that you will set both FiO2 and the flow being delivered, but you must set a flow of at least seven liters per minute to wash CO2 out of the hood. When analyzing the FiO2, always place the analyzer near the baby's face because oxygen will layer, with a higher concentration on the bottom and less at the top. Also keep in mind that you should always monitor an infant that is on oxygen therapy continuously with either pulse oximetry or transcutaneous monitoring. Now let's test what you know. Question number one, what is the definition of a high flow system? It is a system that meets or exceeds the patient's inspiratory demands in order to deliver a precise FiO2. Question number two, what two clinical situations should you choose an air entrainment mask for, particularly for MBRC testing? For COPD and patients with irregular breathing patterns. Irregular breathing patterns may also be described as changing. Occasionally, it might suggest that the patient has a high minute ventilation like deep, rapid breathing. Question three, what is the typical FiO2 range for an air entrainment mask? 24 to 50%. Question four, if the ports on an air entrainment mask become blocked, what will happen to the delivered FiO2? It will increase. Question five, what will happen to the total flow being delivered by the device if the air entrainment ports become blocked? It will decrease. Question number six, if you wanted a high-flow system that also provided aerosolized humidity, what would you recommend? An aerosol mask with air entrainment nebulizer. Question seven, when might you use this system with a face tent? For burns or upper airway surgery. Question number eight, if you have a patient on a trach mask at 40% FiO2, and a flow of eight liters per minute, and you notice that the mist disappears when the patient inhales, what should you do? Increase the flow. Question nine, if there is condensation in the corrugated tubing of an air entrainment nebulizer, what will happen to the FiO2 being delivered? It will increase 
due to back pressure in the system that prevents air entrainment. Question 10. What will happen to the total flow if this happens? Same as the air entrainment mask. Less air entrainment means total flow will decrease. Question 11. If you want a high flow device that also allows the patient to be able to eat, drink, and take oral meds without interruption in therapy, what would you recommend? A high flow nasal cannula. Number 12. What FiO2 can you deliver with a high flow nasal cannula? 24 to 100%. Question 13. What flow rates can you deliver with a high flow nasal cannula? And what is the typical initiation rate? The range is typically 20 to 60 liters per minute, and you usually start at 40 liters per minute, as this will meet or exceed most patients' inspiratory demand. Question 14. When would a croup tent be used? For a pediatric patient with upper airway inflammation. Question 15. When would you use an oxygen hood or box? For a neonate. Question 16. For an oxygen hood, the oxygen provided must also be heated and humidified. And question 17. If you are analyzing the FiO2 in an oxygen hood, the analyzer should be placed where? On the bed near the baby's face. Thanks for joining in on this episode. I will cover a few additional topics, including hyperbaric oxygen, heliox, nitric oxide, and carbogen therapy in the next one. Remember that you can find additional practice and resources at www.myvresp.com and at the Respiratory Therapy Study Hall on Facebook.